This episode of Craft Sanity is sponsored by Verena Knitting, Europe's top knit magazine. The spring 2009 issue is on newsstands now, so check it out. The magazine features 50 patterns that range from really lovely romantic knits for adults, and there's also some cardigans and sweaters for boys and girls with whimsical appliques and embroidery. Verena Knitting Magazine started circulating in North America in 2008, and there's also a digital version available at verenaknitting.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 95 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. On this episode, I'm really pleased to bring you an interview with Lori Sharp. She is the very creative force behind Wool Pets, the business that's based at her home in Shaquamish, Washington, where she takes little bits and bobs of wool and creates the most whimsical and just fun little creatures, you know, ranging from, you know, penguins and bumblebees, turtles, to little people, and even a mermaid. (laughs) She has a book out called Wool Pets, Making 20 Figures with Wool Roving and a Barb Needle that is really wonderful in in that it includes step-by-step photography, very detailed photography. The photography is by Lori's husband, Kevin Sharp, so they're a really great team uh, in that they're able to, without leaving their house, they have the talent to not only create these things, but photograph them beautifully and write up instructions for all of us at home to be able to try this. Lori also sells her, before she did her book, she was selling her needle felting kits. You can order these and they are shipped in a little takeout container and you have all the wool you need, the instructions and a little needle. So you're able to have a little project to take with you. I had my friend Bab in Australia, do. she did a review of one of Lori's kits, so I'll have that for you to read on Craft Sanity, so check that out. Okay, let's get to that interview. I'd like to start kind of at the beginning, um, if you want to tell me a little bit about you know, kind of your art and craft history. I don't know if you were making things as a child, or if this is something where you woke up one day when you were 20 and decided to become crafty. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I've... I've pretty much my whole life been a person that liked to make stuff. You know, when I was little, I made little, um, and little things too. And I was younger, I had a dollhouse and I was really into miniatures and stuff like that. And, um, and then I kind of went through a period where I didn't do any crafting when I was like a teenager and my first few years of college. And then I got into doing seed bead stuff, you know, doing, working with seed beads. So then I went back to, you know, doing tiny, teeny tiny things, so that's kind of my my history with art and craft. I don't really have any formal, you know, training as an artist or a craft person. It's just something, you know, it's just a hobby. It seems like it's it's more than just a hobby now in a way. I mean, cause this oh, is a definitely. Big, yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, cause this is a pretty big business for you now. Um, so why don't you tell me how that happened? You raise sheep, correct? Yeah, I have. I do. I have four sheep. They're just, they're kind of like my pets. We don't really have enough um, land to actually do the whole like raising sheep of, in, as far as, you know, having them lamb each year and stuff like that. We just have a little, a little piece of, you know, small little piece of land here. So they're kind of just for fun, my sheep. So how much, um, how much land do you have? We have about two and a quarter acres. Okay. And you have, and, and how long have you been, had sheep? Um, I've had them for about five years, I think. Okay. So what came first, the sheep and, or the, the felting? Well, they all kind of came at the same, uh, around the same time. Um, the way, I don't know if you'd like me to talk about how I kind of got into felting. Yeah, um, definitely. Okay. Um, well, I was about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, I did a um, Waldorf early childhood teacher training um, thing down in um, Sacramento. So I wanted to be a, I didn't know if I wanted to be a Waldorf kindergarten teacher, but I was really, you know, enchanted with the whole, you know, Waldorf thing. And um, and so I studied, I started studying uh, early childhood education. And part of what we do with the children in the Waldorf school is, you, um, we do little puppet. There's a lot of storytelling, and for the little ones, um, it helps to have a little storytelling aid. You know, like a little, a little puppet or some something that something. helps them to kind of focus. Yeah. So I learned how to make these little wool animals, and um, 
at first it was all like wet felting, you know, making little wet felted things. And that was okay. But I, I was trying to, you know, I like to have a little more detail with them. So a few years later, when I was down in Sacramento, again, I was at the bookstore at the, at the um, Waldorf college down there. And I found this little teeny tiny book um, about needle felting. And I think that it was a woman from Canada and I think it was called Felted Treasures. And, um, I was like, wow, needle felting, that's really interesting. And so I just started scanning the web and, you know, finding out different people that were doing it. And I bought a few kits and kind of taught myself how to do it. And sort of, you know, one thing led to another, you know, I had people, I would start to make stuff and then people would ask me to make stuff for them. And it just kept, you know, rolling along um, until we got to this point, you know, about two years ago. And I said to my husband, Kevin, you know, this is kind of a new thing. I think it could be pretty popular. We ought to try to figure out how to make kits for people and sell them so people can learn how to do this. And he has um, a background in photography. And he also really, uh, he's really good at the computer, you know, as far as graphics and layout and all that kind of stuff. So I knew that he would be able to help with that part of it, of the kit making. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, in a roundabout way, that's kind of how we got to where we're at right now. So did you start, um, when you were starting making kits, how long ago was that now? That you um, well, we, we, were, we started out with three kits, and that was probably about mm, maybe three years ago. Okay. Um, three really simple little kits just to kind of test the market, I guess, so to speak. And then... About, let's see, that was about, well, maybe more like two and a half years ago. And then um, I opened, you know, my little Etsy shop in uh, January of 2007, I think. Yeah, so last year. And we started selling kits on Etsy. And, of course, you know, that really helps things take off. So um, after that, we, you know, I thought, okay, well, we got these three. Now we got to do three more and, and kind of just kept expanding the line as we got, you know, more people were interested. And we also got a lot of feedback from people saying, oh, these are great. These are fun. So, you know, that was encouragement to keep going with it. Which three did you start with? Um, I think we started out with a bee kit, a ladybug kit, and a sleepy sheep kit. Okay. <laughs> Real easy ones. Yeah, and so people got into it, and now I know, I know your book includes 20 different um, designs, but what, how many are, are you up to now? What is your total? Um, I think we have 23 different kits right now. Um, we try to, like... Every every season or every maybe a couple times a year, we try to come up with a few more kits, you know, two or three kits. Um, definitely, like now, I'm working on a few designs for um, for the spring and summer. And then as we get closer to to um, fall and you know the holidays, I'll try to come up with another one or two kits for for that time too. So, so are you getting the wool from your sheep, or do you have to buy wool from other people? Yeah, I used to, at first I used wool from my own sheep, but um, but we kind of live in this climate that's really wet and kind of mucky, and, and also the sheep, they are, they're kind of the sheep of the woods. They're, they live in the kind of cedary forest kind of thing, so their wool tends to be really dirty and full of a lot of, like, sticks and straw, and <laughs> I don't mind going through it myself. Like, you know, I, I use their wool for my own little sculptures, but I didn't want to resell it because it's just too messy so I do buy wool wholesale that's already been you know carded and cleaned and you know is beautiful and um and dyed and all that kind of stuff so that's what that's what I do now okay so then you can just assemble the kits from those materials yep yep and it saves you the trouble of picking straw out of everybody else's kits then (laughs) oh yeah I can't imagine doing that that would take forever yeah I I was pretty clueless that you know I bought a Roth fleece at a fiber festival, um, oh, probably about four years ago. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to clean this and it's going to be so fun and so quick. Oh my gosh. I washed that fleece. I want to say I washed it like three times, four times maybe. And it was still, I was like, oh man. I'm like, that's why people send this away to a, a mill to have it clean. Exactly. <laughs> yep. It is really quite a job. So I don't, I, I completely understand why you send it out and, or you actually just buy it from from other people because that that seems to be um, eliminate a step for you. 
Exactly. Yep. So yep. it sounds like in a pretty short amount of time. I mean, of course, in the internet craft world, two years is like, you know, two decades. Um, as, as fast as things change on the internet and when you see all these new people coming out with their products and cool stuff that they're doing. Um, so way back two and a half years ago when you're really just kind of um, kind of getting started with, you know, having a presence on the web and, and really getting your work out there. Did you ever imagine that you were going to have a book and um, be selling all these kits on Etsy like you are now? No, definitely not. Um, at the time, <clears throat> Uh, when I first started doing this, I had a little home um, daycare at, at our house here. And so I was kind of on that path of being, uh, you know, an early childhood professional, I guess, you know, a teacher. And I had this vision of, of having this really cool little daycare here at our house and the kids could be outside. And, you know, we had the animals, the sheep and everything. And it would just be this cool kind of na- nature experience for, for little kids. And so I was kind of on on that path for a while and um when I was doing my little starting to do my little woolly guys so um it just kind of it it all shifted you know as I was doing the daycare you know people kept telling me oh you're gonna burn out you're gonna burn out and I thought oh no I won't burn out we don't have children of our own so I thought well I won't burn out because I don't have kids of my own to deal with you know and I'll be all fresh every day but eventually I did get kind of did start to get kind of like, oh, this is tough, you know, having kids roll in your driveway at 7 a.m. And, you know, they're tired and grouchy and you're like, okay, here we go. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that, so as, as I was starting to get a little bit tired of doing the daycare thing, the wool, you know, the wool pets started picking up. So as one was ending, I saw the opportunity to move in another direction and I really didn't know what was going to happen. I, I had a feeling that, it was going to be something good just because if it were me, you know, I, and I was out there looking for, you know, little kids, I'd be so excited to see these kids. I'd be like, oh, gosh, these are great. So I thought there's got to be more people like me out there who are looking for something a little bit different, you know, and and would be really excited about this. So I, I just thought as an opportunity that we could really take advantage of at this time. So... Well, I know it just it was just recently that I started to see fel- um needle felting needles actually in craft stores because I remember, you know, 10 years ago, I went you had to kind of go to a fiber festival or find another needle felter and say where'd you get your needles or order them online. So it's become more of a mainstream thing now that you say if you say hey I'm doing I did this needle felted thing people don't look at you like what you did what, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, are you finding totally. that people are more I mean, because I think you're coming on the scene definitely at a good time because, like I said, people have that recognition of like, oh, yeah, needle felting. They understand what that is, um, where I think even five years ago, you'd probably have more curious looks like, what are you doing? You know, what did you, <laughs> what are you poking? Yeah. You know, how is that working? So have you found that yeah. people seem to be, um, you know, they're, it's becoming more popular yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's getting to be a lot of other books out there about needle felting, um, even, you know, more so with felting on like doing needle felting to as an accent for like a purse like or a jacket. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but now there's more, you know, felted sculpture and animals and things like that, too. Um, but yeah, people are definitely getting to recognize it more. I still think, though, that people have, at least what my experience has been, a lot of people are afraid to try it. They're, I don't know, for some reason, they're just afraid that their stuff won't look good or that won't look right or, or they're just, it's kind of um, a challenge for a lot of people. And it's, and the, it really isn't that hard. It's like once you, once you kind of give it a go, then you're off and running and the possibilities are, you know, limitless. So that's the one thing is I hope that more people get more comfortable with it, you know, since it is, it's kind of a new craft and not a lot of people are, are sure of, you know, how to do that. So well, it's, it, while it seems harder, cause when a lot of people think, oh, it's like a sculpture and I, I don't, I could never do that. Um, one of the things that they don't realize, one of the things I like about needle felting is that you have so much more control than you do when you're, um, even crocheting something because you can actually just add add wool as you need it to build up different parts of the sculpture and it's um 
I was surprised that it's much easier than I thought it was going to be because I was one of those people who just thought, oh, boy, that person made a flower. There's no way I could do that. That looks really hard. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's really – especially when you have directions like your book obviously um, makes it feel really simple because you don't have to sit there and look at something and try to figure out how exactly do I make a turtle. Um, <laughs> you yeah, can see, exactly. You know, step-by-step photos um, of how to do right. it, which is really cool because it looks like um, you and your husband have – this wonderful partnership where he can uh, bring the photography skills to the table because you did he did your the photography for your book yep. and um, that had to be pretty exciting to work together <laughs> or, or would you say yeah. <laughs> kind of well it, it worked out really well at first you know my attitude was like okay you know we'll put some stuff together and we'll give it to him you know the publisher and we'll see what they say right and, right. He was all like, oh, no, you need, you know, he was worried about making sure I did a whole bunch of, you know, writ, wrote a whole bunch of stuff. And and I said, you know what, let's just send this to them. And if they like it, then we'll go from there. And so I think that we we kind of had a different view of how to do the book at first, <laughs> but then then we were fine with it. So it, it worked out really well. Um, and he's still, let's see, he was working part-time I think while we were writing the book or while we were doing the photos and stuff and then he was able to leave his job in October of last year and um, he kind of is in charge of all the uh, you know the wholesale accounts with the kits and bookkeeping and um, you know making sure that we got all our labels and packaging and all that gobbledygook so he's kind of doing the business end of things now um and he has a background also in retail so he's really good at talking to folks on the phone and sometimes i get a little bit grouchy so it's good to have him to he's all nice to everybody (laughs) (laughs) well that's good and it seems most couples i know my husband and i we work together on craft sanity and we work together at in our professional life as well we both work at the newspaper together and um yeah, I mean, you definitely have different strengths, and um, it's nice to be able to defer the parts I'm not good at, <laughs> you know, like yep. computers, um, to him. So at what point, how long were you guys doing this business before um, you were able to both have, is this your sole income now, Wool Pets? Is it, now it is, that, yep. well, Congratulations, yep. that's great. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it is, it's one of those things, though. It's 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 really cool, but there are also times when, um, when I think to myself, you know, man, this is this is tough. Wondering whether or not you're gonna, you know, make ends meet this month, you know. And one of the advantages of having a, you know, a job job is that you know you're gonna get that paycheck, right. you know, every month. Right. And when you're doing your own thing, it's like, oh, you know, you have to you have to bust your own butt to, if you want to make the money. So it's it's good, and I'm really glad we're doing it. But it also there are times when, you know, it's just like, oh, I just wish I could go to a job and do my thing. And and come home and you know that's it instead it's like you know you really have to put in all the hours and but it's worth it you know so well it's, it's got to have its benefits when you're you know deciding you decide you want to go to the beach instead of you know the office um. <laughs> oh yeah definitely sometimes I feel a little guilty though it's it'll be like midweek and yeah like you said we'll be at the beach or something and I'll think oh gosh all these people are at work and maybe I should be at work too and you know because if you've most of your life or, or most of my life I've had a job you know I worked for somebody else right. or with somebody else right. and so to have even it's been well been about well a year for me a little bit more than a year that I've I closed my daycare so it hasn't really been that long that I've been away from a quote job um so I think it still feels a little bit funny once in a while to be you know floating floating around in the midweek so um but I'm getting used to it (laughs) for sure well I would don't feel bad about it because you know it sounds like you're um you know, it's hard work, you know, and like you said, there's sacrifices in other areas where the folks who can't go to the beach on a Wednesday um, have peace of mind, you know, of knowing, well, unless um, they're downsized, which I guess is actually a, a reality from a lot of us these days. You know, we might, you know, I know for me, I mean, I'm, my job is kind of touch and go right now. And, um, you know, it's so a lot of people are feeling that, but it's, it's really, I, I love to hear stories, though, of people who have been able to kind of take this uh, hobby, turn it into a career, and um, still enjoy doing it. And do you find that, are you still enjoying working with wool and making sculptures? Is it still, um, are you able to preserve that joy it brought you before it was your income? 
Yeah, definitely. And that was something that, you know, definitely had to think about that. Um, last year, it was probably um, towards the, in the fall, I was trying to, you know, make stuff for, um, there's a couple of shows. I just do a couple of shows a year where I actually sell my finished pieces. Okay. And, um you know, it takes it takes a little bit of time to make a little, you know, needle felted, whatever, a, a sheep or, you know, bird, whatever. And so um, I was worried about having enough, you know, things to fill a booth. So I would get up in the morning and say, OK, today I'm going to make 10 chickadees. Boom, go. And, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up and make 10 hummingbirds. And when I was doing that, you know, it definitely got to the point where I was starting to not enjoy it as much. Right. So. I did that a little bit, and then I said, you know, I really need to, to get back to where I am. I do enjoy it, and um, and if I don't have enough stuff, well, you know, so be it. Then I'll know next year that I can't do those big, you know, arts and crafts shows. Just, you know, it doesn't work for, for me. But it did end up working out pretty good. Um, so, um, you know, it could be because, you know, people weren't buying as much this year, so I didn't have to worry about having as much. But I, I guess a lot of um, artists – you know, people that were selling their art stuff did did well. Um, so so far, you know, the hand handcraft world isn't suffering too much, I guess. So well, and a lot of the stuff in the um, handcraft world um, still remains at a level where people can still purchase the, the right. things, which I think does help. Of course, that's probably because a lot of us are underpricing our work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's. I think we always have a. Um, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us struggle with you know, charging people what something's actually worth. Uh, do you, do you struggle mm-hmm. with pricing yourself when you make something and it's not a kit, but you've actually sat there and put the time into actually making the finished piece? Um, do you, did you have a hard time when you first started setting your prices? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, I wasn't really good at, you know, some people would say, well, you got to time yourself. And I would, I'd try to do that, but then I would get up and forget to turn off the timer. And so I wasn't really good at timing myself as to how long it took me to make something, you know, and thinking about charging according to that. But, um, but it was, it was a little bit hard and I'm still, um, I still kind of struggle with that a little bit with pricing, but whatever I usually write down as a price then Kevin always jacks it up by 10 bucks or something like that so he's always like oh no you should charge this and I'm like okay but I don't know if anybody's gonna pay that so but are you finding that people are paying that um some people are you know it's one of the nice things about um getting you know having a little bit of time you know even though two years isn't too long you know we're I'm getting out there a little bit more and a little bit more and so people are starting to there's a couple of like little, I guess, little local shows, local local art shows, and so the same people will come, you know, year after year to those, and you know they they are willing to spend, you know, good money on my stuff just because they're they're kind of like little collectors, sort of. Right. I mean, I don't have that many people that do that, but um, but people, you know, I do have a few, so those people are willing to spend, you know, a little bit of of money, and you know, you never know. Sometimes people, there, someone will come along and you know, drop a couple hundred dollars and you're like, woohoo. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, you never know. And so how much for the most part, what, what on average, what do you charge per, per piece, finished piece that you make? Um, <clears throat> well, right now I charge about, um, 25 to 30 dollars for like a little bird um like a bird ornament and then i charge i guess the the most expensive thing i have right now it's not even that not terribly expensive but i have um i make a little a figure uh usually it's a girl who has a little pet sheep with her and she's knitting from that sheep and that's yeah that's kind of my my most expensive item and it's i think i charge like 125 for that it's like it's like Um, two in a way it's kind of like two sculptures I mean, because you have a sheep and a girl. Right. Yeah. Yep. And as people are a little bit harder for me, they're a little more challenging for me to make than animals. So I end up, you know, sometimes I charge a little bit more for people, you know, than animals. Well, especially if it takes you longer to make, you know, the people. Yeah. So is that become a popular item for you? The the knitting girl? Yeah. Yep, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Is, is that in your Etsy shop? Um, I don't have one in there right now. I've, I've sold them in the past. So if you go back, you know, I don't know how long ago, but there's, there's probably a few in there. Okay. Well, Uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you could send me a photo, I'll put it on the website since we're talking about it so people can, 
you know, checkcraftsanity.com. I'll link back to you, but then they can kind of see what we're talking about. It sounds darling. And yeah. yeah. So, and it's, is that something that you can make? Do you still make those or are they, are we talking about something that no one can ever order again? <laughs> oh no, I definitely okay. am happy to make more of those. Oh, for okay. sure. So yeah. If somebody I, wants I one, you'll be able to accommodate yep. them. Okay. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yep. The only thing I don't do, and a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of needle felters will do this, is do portraits of people's animals. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's something I actually started when I was just starting out. Um, I did a few, you know, dogs for people. They would, you know, ask me, hey, will you do my dog? And it just was not, it was, I did not enjoy it at all. You know, it's really hard to try to make you know someone's dog you know just look, just like their dog in wool in miniature. and yeah and then they would you would give you spend all this time and then you'd show them and they'd be like well that doesn't quite look like Fifi you know and so it was I didn't do that for very long but I know a lot of people do yeah so. I don't think I'd be able to do that either well of course my right. my skills of replicating uh, life the likeness of a of a dog or person are just really not even existent. So I think people would be offended. I'd give them a, they'd be like, that doesn't look at all like my dog. I'm like, actually, that was you. I'm sorry that you're not happy with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it does, it, it's another, you know, another thing about needle felting too is that it does seem like it helps to practice, you know, because at first my, my first things looked terrible too. You couldn't tell what kind of animal it was. And many, of many animals got thrown against the wall and are turned into dog toys or cat toys. So, so um, definitely it's one of those things, you know, that if you do it enough, you know, you just get better and better at it. So I would encourage people if they're thinking of trying it and they, they've tried it and it's just they don't like what they're what they've made just to keep at it. And if you if you enjoy it, that is that you'll get better. Well, how long did it take you to feel like you really had a good handle on and you were happy with the outcome of your work? Well, it's actually been pretty recent because um, I would the 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 part that was hard for me is if I was wanting to make a new animal um, that I hadn't ever made before, like like well, say like a lion. I wanted to make a lion, and it used to be that it was really a struggle to try to figure out how to get the body shape just right and get all those little curves and angles and proportions. Um, that used to be really hard, but now it's like I can kind of look at it and kind of figure it out relatively quickly, and then I can make and get results that I'm that I'm happy with a little bit easier than before. So, and same with my people. At first, my people just they look they all look like they had the mumps. <laughs> so, so I've gotten a little bit you know to a point where I know how to do um, you know a person's face without it looking like they're you know about to you know, they got about to blow a bubble or something like that. So, um, and it's just, it's interesting how your hands and how they work with your brain and your, you know, and all of a sudden it's just like they know what to do. So it's, it's fun now. Well, and that's the part that's really gratifying when you get to the point with with whatever handcraft you're doing, where you don't have to think about it so much, like concentrate, like, okay, I'm making a bird and like stress yourself out where you can, do you find that you enjoy the process more now that you're not worried about, getting the proportion right because you just know what to do. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, sometimes I'll be out there with, um, I teach classes locally and people will say, oh, I can do this in front of the TV. And I think, oh my gosh, when I first started out, I could never do it in front of the TV. I had to make sure that I had lots of energy and lots of patience with myself. And, you know, I was ready to sit down and concentrate for a while. So, and maybe that was just me personally and other people, you know, aren't, are they're not so you know critical of their own work you know and they're able to just make something and be happy with it which I hope you know people should be so um but yeah now I'm now I have now I really enjoy it it's fun so well how much of your day would you say is dedicated to your wool pets business now I mean are you working like you know 18 hour days or eight hour days or what is a typical day like for you um, it, it kind of depends a little bit on, um, if we get any orders, um, you know, we get our Etsy orders and we have to, you know, get those together usually, which are kits. And then we also sell, I sell the, um, wool roving, it's, um, Coriadale and it's a nice, um, kind of a medium 
course, wool for using for needle felting. So we sell the wool that's already dyed to the same wool that's in our kits. We also sell it by itself. Um, and, and so we get orders on Etsy. We usually try to fill, you know, get those ready first thing in the morning. And then sometimes we'll have a few wholesale orders and sometimes we'll have to put kits together if that's the case. And right now that's kind of, um, that takes a lot of time and we're trying to, we're in the midst of trying to figure out how to, you know, get more time for ourselves and spend less time putting the kits together. Cause that's very, it's really labor intensive. You know, it's like the, with these little, the instructions and then they go in an envelope with the needles and then there's usually beads or a ribbon or, you know, and then each kit's got a bunch of different kinds of wool in it. And so that can take up a lot of time. Um, and then I'll usually try to squeeze in some time during the day. Cause I like to work when the natural light is, is good. Um, during the day I try to work on, you know, sculptures cause usually there's way, you know, way in the distance, there's a show that I'm thinking of doing or, you know, maybe someone's asked me to make them something. So I try to do that during the day when it's nice and light in the house. So, yeah. So sometimes we do work till like 11 o'clock at night, you know, sitting there just stuffing, stuffing kids. Wow. Um, yeah. But do you still prefer that to working for somebody else? Um, definitely. There, you know, there was a time I was starting to get a little bit, I don't know, I was, I was getting a little bit burned out on the whole thing. Um, towards the end, Towards the end of um, the holidays um, this year, I was just like, oh, I'm just, I don't want to be a, you know, I feel like I'm working in a factory here, you know, putting these kids together. It's just, this is not what I signed up for, you know, with this business. <laughs> so, you know, and I just had to realize that, you know, it just takes time. It, you know, right now I'm doing the kit part here, but we'll we'll try to figure it out, you know, a way to to either, you know, have someone else do the kits or hire someone or, you know, kind of get if we as long as we keep busy you know and we have money to be able to do that eventually you know that'll be the direction and then I'll have you know a little more time to pursue other interests so just have to be patient and but I am I am definitely glad that that we're still doing this so um, but I can identify with um, I hear a lot of people on your show talk about you know the isolation too, the aspect of being at home day in and day out you know doing your even though it's great to be doing your art and your own your own boss you know it sometimes it does get a little bit lonely and you get a little bit you know cuckoo from being at home alone <laughs> all the time right. so it's good it's good to be able to find things to do outside, you know, of the home, even if it's not a job, you know, just do different things, keep your life in balance, I guess. Right. And try to maintain some social contacts. So you're, you know, feeling like you're getting, yep. yeah. So, um, if we want to go back to your book a little bit and talk about, um, can you tell me the story of how that came together? Did you send out a proposal or were you approached? Um, well, the, there was a, um, an editor at Creative Publishing who emailed me and she just said, hey, you know, I've been looking at your website and I'm looking for someone to write a book on needle felting. And so I was like, well, heck yeah, you know, we'd love to do that. And I think that um, we sent her a kit. Um, the editor, so that she saw sort of how Kevin and I were doing the instructions. You know, we had these pictures and these really simple steps. So they were, the people at Creative Publishing were, were you know, interested in having a book that was in that same sort of format. You know, in other words, very step-by-step and, you know, how-to book um, kind of thing. So, yeah, so she, she just asked me to do it. And then she, you know, liked Kevin's photography on the website and said, yeah, and he can do the photography, which I think we're really lucky for that because we were able to just, you know, whenever we had the chance, we'd get, you know, go next door into our studio and say, okay, let's work on this, you know, project today. We're going to photograph and, and all that. So, um, the whole thing was really a, a really, it went relatively easy. And I think part of it was, you know, the creative publishing, they were really easy to work with. And, you know, we were, we were just excited to do the book and we weren't too um, concerned about, you know, we, they definitely listened to us when we were like, well, we'd like to have this photo here or this photo there, but all in all, we all worked pretty well together. So. And so how long did you spend on the project? I know it came out, it came out in July, right? Yeah. So how long was, how long did you work on it before it finally hit the bookstore. Well, we, yeah, we were kind of, we kind of had a crunch. Um, I think we got our contract, you know, all finalized in June, mid-June, and it was supposed to be due in August. <laughs> and 
or September 1st, I think. Wow. But then they, they, have, they gave us a little extra time since it took us a little bit to work out the contract. So that was, it was, it was kind of a rush, but at the same time, it was probably good for Kevin because he's, he can be the kind of person to wait till the last minute. So if they had given us too much time, then I would have been running around saying, come on, we got to work on this. And he would have been saying, oh, we'll get to it. So <laughs> it was. You know, I was always like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he had to go along with that because we did have to get our butts in gear with it. So, And did you guys work with an agent or did you talk to – did you just deal directly with the publisher? We just dealt directly with the publisher. We had um, – you know, for the contract part, we had um, a lawyer who – whose kid was in my daycare for a little while. And so I was still, you know, in touch with the family. And so he um, offered to look at the contract for us. And, you know, because some of the wording in those contracts is just like, you think, what are they talking about? Right, so, right. you know, it was nice to have someone to look it over for us and just say, hey, you know, this, that, whatever. So, um, but that, but it was mostly just us and, and the publisher. So it's, I think it was nice that it was a small, I think creative publishing is a fairly small part of a larger um publishing group so we only had to deal with a few people in the whole the whole thing okay well i think the fact that you guys were handling both the photography and the text and instructions that that does simplify it a little bit because then you don't have to worry about hiring out a photographer or having the publisher do that and you 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 really hold more creative control when you have You know the photographer quite well, it sounds like. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, I leave it all to him. Yeah. So are you guys working on another book, or what, what are you guys working on now? Um, I've got some ideas, definitely some ideas for another book. So we haven't um, – nothing, nothing official yet, so – we're just kind of, you know, recovering from the holidays, and and we're also trying to, like I said, we're trying to kind of figure out the streamline the kit business, and um, you know, we're we're just trying to learn how to be better business people. So um, that's the other thing we're kind of focusing on right now. And that is a tricky thing to work out because when, when you go from you know a hobby business to well hobby to a business to a full time business. It's there are changes that have to and like growing pains you have to go through, so it sounds like you're. Um, I guess it's a good problem to have though when you have so much work that you want somebody else to come in and help you make some kits, right? Right. <laughs> yep. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so, do you guys think you're close to hiring somebody or? Well, I don't know. We're going to actually tomorrow we're going to go to a um a small business um a, you know the small business administration. They're having a class on how to write a business plan. So I think we'll, you know, we'll write that business plan and then we'll look, you know, you're supposed to project your finances and all that kind of stuff. So we'll be able to look ahead and see okay, you know, if we keep on this path, you know, it's possible at this point, you know, at this X, you know, date, we'll be able to look at hiring someone or you know, we have a lot of research to do, too, to find out, you know, just how much is that going to cost. And we've had people say to us, and I don't know if this is true or not, but we've had people say, oh, you can find someone in Seattle that will put your kits together for 25 cents each. And we're thinking, what? You know, I don't know if this person knows what goes into it, but I guess there's fulfillment companies out there. And um, we just have to do our research and figure that out. Yeah, and that is part of the the mystery of it all is <laughs> just putting figuring out what you need and then finding someone to help you kind of get the job done. And I, I know, right. I think it's great that you're going, you know, kind of tapping into a local resource. I know in Michigan, um, you know, I've gone, we have a thing called the Michigan Small Business and Technology Development Center, and it's a free service. And most um, most states have these kind of, um, you know, resources for people who are doing small businesses. And it's really great to go and consult with people that can help you get your business plan written and, um, you know, kind of direct you to affordable legal help if you need it for anything. Um, Because I think that's one of the things that's overwhelming when you go from the hobby phase to the business phase. Uh, Because a lot of us get into this stuff because we love, you know, art and craft. You know, we love to do what we're doing and we don't give a whole lot of thought. I know at least I didn't initially give any thought to hmm, I wonder how I can make a business out of this. It wasn't really what I, I mean, were you thinking about starting a business right away or did you just kind of have this hobby that you liked? Yeah, I think it was it was mostly that I had the hobby. It wasn't until the kits, you know, we started thinking about doing the kits and actually doing them that I thought, you know, this could be a business. Because honestly, I don't think that I can make a living 
um, on just my sculptures alone. I mean, definitely I couldn't, you know, it'd, it'd be mostly fun money if I, you know, I'd have to have another job. So when we started doing the kits, that was, that was when I thought, okay, this could be a business. And, um, and then of course, when I was talking about starting to burn out a little bit on the kits, you know, I realized that in order for this business to keep growing, we're going to definitely need to educate ourselves about how to grow it. And we, we just, we need help, you know, we're not business people, so if we're going to go in that direction, then we need to, to figure it out, you know, and, and, and if not, you know, if, if, if I wasn't willing to research the business aspect of it, then I might as well, you know, be done because, you know, I'm definitely not going to, you know, you just, you just can't, can't just go on and, and hope that things will work out. You know, there's this, there's things that we need to learn about it. So I'm willing to do it. So for now, <laughs> Kevin is really, my husband is really excited about it too because he, um, you know, his passion is photography, but he really um, had a hard time figuring out what kind of work he could do as far as that goes because, you know, it's such a competitive field. Um, and he he bought some equipment to maybe start up his own studio, you know, portrait studio at home. But that, you know, you have to be, I think you have to be a pretty um, a, aggressive personality to to start a photo business just because there's so many people out there doing that and so he is he's really enthusiastic about keeping this business going and growing because he enjoys it as far as you know a job goes and um you know i have like in my back pocket you know i have different things i could do i could go back to working with the children or the waldorf thing so i'm always like well if all else fails you know or if i decide i don't want to do this i can do that and he's like I don't have, I, I got to do this, you know, this, or, you know, I, he was working at like a paint store before we started this. So he's, he's definitely motivated to keep it working. Well, I think with his photography skills, I mean, there might even be um, avenues beyond just even beyond your business where he could do um, photos, you know, the process shots for other people's books as well, you know, totally. Yeah. Especially yep. since he's already experienced in doing that. And and that's great for you because anytime you come out with a pattern or project or new kit, it's like one-stop shopping. You don't have to go hire someone, you know, just call yeah. him in the room and he can help you out with it. So that's that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big part of the reason why the, you know, the kits are the way they are because it was just, you know, he, he does all that nice layout and the photo and the um, text and everything. It was just me. It would be like, you know, a, a, some scrappy little drawing and a typed couple of pages stapled together. You know, nobody would want to buy it. So <laughs> it really – he's really good. He really helps with – if it weren't for him, you know, I definitely wouldn't be doing the kits. So – yeah. Well, that's great. And you guys are doing the kits and you're still married and still, you know, <laughs> that's a good sign, uh, yeah. you know, if, you, if yeah, you can work yeah. together, I think that means you're going to stay together because I know in my experience, people have said to me, how do you work with your husband? I could never do that. And it's like, well, I met him at the college paper, you know, at school and, and back in at central Michigan. And we've worked together ever since. And of course we have our moments. I mean, I was out at a, I used to cover night cops. So I was out at a shooting in Grand Rapids and I'm calling in to the the desk uh, where the copy editors were and my husband was working. He's in the receiving end of it. I said, okay, I'm going to just dictate this little, what I have from the scene. We were on deadline, you know, and I hear him like typing when I'm not talking. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not saying anything. He's like, oh, he's like, I got it. I got it. I'm like, what do you mean you have it? I'm telling you, you have to do what I'm telling you. I'm dictating. He's like, you're not very good at dictation. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know oh, I'm no. not. But I mean, so I'm kind of arguing. With, yeah, I'm standing in the street corner under a streetlight trying to read out of my notebook. Um, someone has just been shot. And I'm, you know, I mean, it was a ridiculous situation. But I'm just like, okay, clearly this might not be, this might be not the best situation. But <laughs> Right. But, you know, yeah, you work it's through it terrible. and it's it's hilarious looking back. I'm like, how did I even get that story done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know we were at a show once getting we were setting up for a show and there was a another vendor nearby and she walked over and she's like I don't know. She's like, are you guys married? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, I don't know how you would do it. My husband and I tried to work together, you know, to set up our stuff for a show. And we just fought and fought and argued. <laughs> and, you know, and you hear people when you're when you're setting up at shows, you hear other vendors just bickering. <laughs> but we just don't we don't do that. I think we're both pretty easygoing. So if one person has a particular feeling about something, the other person's like, oh, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, yeah, I think it's also good too when you have 
personalities that are different, you know, because I am definitely the more high strung, you know, high energy person. And, you know, he can kind of come along and be like, okay, here's what we need to do very calmly, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's great. And I think that, you know, when you have a business and you have, um, you know, something that, you know, you guys can both you know, bring energy to, I think that's really wonderful. So it sounds like you said you have some ideas what you want to do next, um, possibly another yep. book. And, um, it, but at the, in the meantime, it sounds like your big thing, the big thing on your agenda for this year is just kind of figuring out how, what to do next with your business as far as how big to grow it. It sounds like, is that something that's kind of weighing on your mind? Um, that's a little bit of it, but mostly it's, um, trying to figure out either how to, um, it, you know, it mostly has to do with the labor of the kits, you know, and either we need to try to figure out how to, at what point, you know, do we, are we making enough money that we can hire someone or what are our options as far as having someone else do them? And, you know, the other things we're looking at right now is, um, packaging, um, cause right now we have our kits in these little, they're in these little takeout right, boxes right. and we and we label them and everything and I would like to and I think Kevin would too is to have some different you know some different packaging something that's definitely more eco-friendly um and have it be you know stuff that's maybe already printed on because that would save us you know more labor as far as that goes so I don't know that I'm too concerned about growing it but then again if I want to be able to you know have someone else do the kits then we definitely will have to make you know a certain amount of money to be able to pay the the people right. to gonna do it so well maybe that will just yeah. naturally happen if you change your packaging and then make it a little easier you'll be able to you know keep continue right. to get your name out there and um yep. be able to deal with when hundreds of people are calling <laughs> more people are calling for for needle uh-huh. felting because i don't think needle felting has really reached its peak yet because I, uh-huh. I, I don't know how you feel about that i mean i think that it's still I mean, it's definitely not as common as knitting or crocheting or anything like that. But I, I think that people, there's still some folks finding out about it. You know, there's, yeah. so that um, yeah. will be interesting to see how, how big things get. Um, it just, as people get more, um, you know, into it. But uh, yeah. so do you guys go to like yeah. the fiber festivals and stuff or do you just mostly have your business online now? Um, it's mostly online. We, um, I've gone, you know, just as a, as a person that's shopping, you know, different, different fiber festivals. And I think that I'd like to, um, maybe do some, you know, teach at a few of them. Sometimes it's, it's hard to get into some, at least some of the ones out here, they have waiting lists to be a vendor at their, at their festivals. You know, they've been, um, around for many, many years and they have the same vendors that have been there from the beginning and you kind of, kind of squeeze your way in. And so, um, but I think that that would be a fun thing to do eventually as well, you know, do a little bit more of that. Um, there's a, there's a few local festivals. There's a couple in Oregon. There's a, the black sheep gatherings in the summer and the Oregon flock and fiber, which is in the fall. And it's, I like to do those things cause it's really fun to get out and meet other people and see what other people are doing in the whole fiber world because it's just such a it seems like it's just a fun group of people that like to play around with fiber Mm -hmm. and do fiber things so yeah and it's crazy because i know we have them you know the festival here is in august uh, michigan fiber festival and it's so funny because it's usually really hot and we're all like loading up on wool (laughs) i know it's just like you know of course i really wouldn't want to go hang out at a fairgrounds right now it's really cold here today um there's no way you couldn't pay me enough. Yeah. I don't even think there'd be enough free wool in the world. Well, maybe if it was free, I might go. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think all of us would go. Um, but yeah, it's it's just really funny how you know if people go, and I always have a great time. If you like wool and knitting and felting and all these things, um, it's definitely a fun thing to do in the in the summertime. Now, when you're not working on, you know, it sounds like you don't have a whole lot of free time. You spend a lot of time getting your business going, but when you're not working on needle felting or running the business, what types of things do you like to do? Do you do other crafts or do other artwork? Oh, I really like to do other things. And it's, you know, sometimes I have to really kind of carve out time to do other things. Um, I like knitting a lot and I like, I like to do a lot of doll making. So that's another thing that I'm really interested in. What kind of of dolls? um, You know, uh, just I don't really do any of the um, 
art dolls necessarily. Um, I do like little fairy kind of dolls or little little. Um, ch- most of my dolls seem to look like little children. <laughs> the 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 reason why I I like doll making is because I love fabric, but I am such a lousy sewer. I really that's another thing about needle felting is that if you're a person like me who doesn't, I just can't. I can't sew a straight line. I can't follow a pattern. I mean, I could, but I just don't like to. And so, you know. In needle felting, you know, you don't have to worry about doing all that stuff. But getting back to the, you know, the doll making thing is that I'll see some really cool fabric and I'll think, oh, what am I going to do with this? And I'll think, well, I'll just, you know, cut it out and, you know, use it as a as a doll body or something like that. So so I like to do that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of stuff I have to do around the house here since we have all these animals. So I'm always outside with my animals and scoop and poop and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff that has to get done yeah 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 so well i think uh i know i've i've scooped my share of poop too i have an alaskan malamute and uh (laughs) she's a poop machine let me tell you (laughs) have you ever tried to um like felt with with um his or her hair Um, or or you know i've I've tried to um when i first got her it's hilarious because you know we got we got juna she's gonna be 10 in March and I was really trying to recreate my childhood because I had a Alaska Malamute when I was a kid and so soon like we hadn't even moved into our house yet we were in an apartment for one more week and I said to the landlord I'm like we're gonna get this dog and from the breeder and can we can we bring her here for a week you know before we move and she's like whatever you know just don't let her pee all over the place well we had this dog and I right away I mean she barely had I mean puppies don't have an abundance of of fur, like they don't get their ma- their big full coat, you know, right away. But as soon as she had like, you know, her full coat, I was like plucking hair uh, fur out of this dog, you know, <laughs> trying to, I'm like, and I have my own little fiber source. Well, the thing is uh-huh. I was collecting it in a plastic bag and I was kind of in denial that, I mean, I knew that dog hair does not smell, I mean, it doesn't smell good. It really, especially when it gets yeah. wet, it smells horrid. And so I was collecting this stuff and I had like a big um, bag full of it. And then I'm like, okay. I'm going to try to, um, what did I try to do first? I, I know I tried to felt it and I tried to spin it, but it got wet. It was just so disgusting. So I tried washing it <laughs> and it just, no matter what you do. And I've read online, people have had some success with, um, mm-hmm. with dog hair, but, um, or dog fur, but man, it, I have not, I kind of gave up cause I thought, you know, if I'm out caught in the rain, my sweater is going to clear a room. You know? I mean, it's really not going to yep. go well. So I think the sheep really do have the corner market. And I'd probably have a whole flock right now if I could convince my husband that that was a good idea. But we live in suburbia. There's a neighborhood association. And I think there's oh, some yeah. people that would, if they could eject me from the neighborhood, they would have done so already. I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> non-compliant. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yep. you know, it's one, of, I know. it's one of those deals where um, if I, I could just imagine what would happen, they'd probably call the cops if I, you know, had a sheep. Um, <laughs> I know. It's too bad. You know, I had a friend that went to New Zealand recently and she said, oh, gosh, anybody that has a little square of front yard or grass, they have a sheep. And I just thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool? If, you know, everybody, just everybody was allowed to have a little sheep here and there, you know, when no one have to mow. Well, and, yeah, you and know. I think that we're really, um, especially with the, you know, you hear talk in the news about like the food crisis and how, you know, in this country, we, we struggle to produce enough food, you know, and we, I, I think wouldn't it be awesome if we could like just turn our front lawns into like gardens so you could like grow your own produce in the summertime? I mean, I think that'd be a great idea. However, I mean, mm-hmm. that would be t- total violation of the na- neighborhood association um, rules, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, instead people are putting chemicals on their lawn, which I refuse to do. So I always have dandelions and my daughters love them. They like to go out and make a wish and blow the seeds out, which I'm sure makes my neighbors want to just kick me in Cringe. the Because yeah. I mean, meanwhile, they're pouring chemicals onto their lawn and I'm letting my children race to the nearest dandelion and it's gone to seed and I take pictures as they blow the seeds out into the air. Yeah. But I just think oh. I'm not going to deprive them of that experience. And I just think that, I mean, New Zealand, I mean, they got it down right. I mean, I think that's awesome that you can, you can have a kind of make live from your land, you know, and, and whether you want to have a, you know, some kind of livestock or you have um, a garden um, where you can actually like eat something that you're growing yourself. I think that's really cool. And that's got to be kind of gratifying for you too, to be able to have your own little fiber sources right there on your property. 
Yeah, definitely. And and they're really sweet. You know, people say, oh, sheep are so dumb. But I don't think they're quite <laughs> as dumb as people say, especially if you spend time with them. You know, it's like when they were lambs, I spent a lot of time with them, just sitting with them with a handful of grain because I wanted them to be I wanted to be able to, you know, go pet them and stuff. I wanted to kind of tame them up. Right. And, you know, naturally they're pretty skittish. But now, you know, it's like I can just go up to them and pet them for a while. And they're they're very, you know, personable. So I, uh, when people say, why do you have sheep? They're so dumb. It's like, well, it's good that they're not that smart though, because when they're, you know, when you're gone, they're not like, where is she? Where is she? You know, they're just, they're just doing their thing. You know, they don't, they don't, if they're, if an animal is not that smart, then you don't have to worry about them feeling bad. <laughs> I figure <laughs> when you're not there, cause I feel bad sometimes I'm like, Oh, I haven't visited the sheep today. I better go visit them. It's like, they don't care. Right. Right. So, so you don't have to yeah, stress out over the emotional detachment. Right. Where do you go from here? In less than three years, you've really come on the scene where people, I mean, I hear a lot of people talking about wool pets and I hear, um, you know, I know the local, um, there's a couple local, I know at least one of the local yarn stores here in Grand Rapids has your kits, which I was very pleased to see. So, um, is it the, the, um, trying to think of there's one that um thanks to cat brody we met cat oh, brody yeah. at a well um, she was at city knitting i interviewed yeah. her um, before she came to town and uh for the podcast and then um yes she was at city knitting and that's where i saw your kids here in Grand yeah Island. it's thanks to her that they're they're at that shop we met her at a little needle arts market thing here you know in our uh, over here in Washington and she was just so excited about the kits because she said well when people you know go shopping in knitting stores you know they drag along their you know daughter or their you know friend or whatever and maybe their friend doesn't knit right. and this is something for them to do something different she was just all she was really excited about it and so she told us that she was going to mention us to a couple of her favorite shops and so um yeah it was really we really appreciated her being our little cheerleader yeah, I guess. Well, her point is so. I mean that's a great point that she made because I think we've all you know been I know I've dragged a lot of people through stores and really had no interest in you know becoming a knitter but to have something um that they could do and for children I think this is something that young people can get into and what age do you recommend that people you know people could start getting their kids into needle felting well I guess it depends you know it really depends on the child of course um I and and you know it's weird with this whole toy thing coming up I think you know the whole um thing about getting all that is crazy I can't I just can't even imagine that it's going to happen um and if that's the case we'll have to say that they're only for 12 and up you know is that um, the, I think, the cutoff age for the I think so. I think, yeah, 12 and up is the cutoff age, which I think that before we had, um, on the kids, we had 10 and up. Okay. Um, but I've taught classes with kids as as young as seven or eight who had a parent, you know, doing it with them. And they, you know, some kids really do just fine and they really enjoy it. And um, I think it's really good for, I know that it, for me, like when I was like nine, 10, 11, and I was, you know, not quite ready to give up my dolls, but yet I wasn't, you know, I shouldn't be playing with them anymore because I was growing older. And this, you know, having this craft would have been really good for me at that age, you know. And I think for a lot of kids, it's like, you know, they still want to play, but they, you know, it's, you know, you can't play. You're getting older. So this is something to do that's constructive and you feel like you're doing something good. So, um, and it's fun. And I like, I really like working with kids on it because they seem to have less inhibitions than adults. You know, they'll just go for it and make all kinds of crazy stuff, whereas adults are like, oh, no, I can't. I have to just make it just like this. And right. um, That's why we so. all should be crafting with kids more. Yeah. If there's something we can learn from kids in that regard. Definitely. Uh, do you have any advice for the people that might be kind of coming up uh, behind you in, in just a handmade business? You know, maybe it has nothing to do with wool specifically, but um, anything you wish you would have known at the beginning that you think might help somebody else out there? The main thing that I would want people to think about is the fact that there's, you know, there's definitely going to be ups and downs with it, which I'm sure people know. But um, and after a while, you know, it can be it can get to be monotonous. There's aspects of it that are very monotonous. And like any job, there's parts of it that 
you know, you like and you don't like. And I think that sometimes people think when they start their own business or, you know, crafty business, it's all going to be fun. And, you know, and I know that I've heard on your program, a lot of other artists have said the same thing, you know, that there are parts that are monotonous and boring. And, and if you're a people, you know, a people person too, it might be something that wouldn't work out for you because you do have to spend a lot of time, you know, at home or in your workshop or whatever, just working on your stuff. Mm So that's another thing to think about and, and not to not to be hard on yourself if it doesn't work out for you. You know, it's not it's not for everybody. And and to realize that it takes time. That's the other thing. I And I'm guilty of, you know, wanting things to be happen overnight. And, you know, things just take time. So you have to be patient and um, and willing to work hard, you know, really, really work harder than you've ever had to work at any other job. I mean, I kind of have the experience with the daycare of working, you know, having to work long hours because after the kids would leave, I'd have to clean. And in the morning, you know, there was always stuff to do to get ready. So I kind of knew that when you have your own business, you have to wear many hats. So um, that's the other things that, you you know, you'll end up wearing many different hats. So, um, but at the same time, definitely, you know, if you have something you love to do and you think that it might be something that other people would be interested in, you know, definitely go for it because, you know, it's you only got one chance here as far as we know. So, you know, do what you love. Just do it. Right. So, well, yeah, if all fails, you can go back. That's true. That's true. And, yeah, unless, you know, because for a lot of people, you're not buying a multi-million dollar company. I mean, this is usually a a series of small steps in a direction toward a, a home business or a, a small um, art or craft business. So you can always take a step back. So, yep. yeah, well, I think yep. it's great advice that you've given, and I really appreciate your time. I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you want the folks at home to know. Um, Not that I can think of. Um, Only just to encourage people to, you know, try needle felting. Don't be afraid that it's really fun. You know, a lot of people, when I teach classes, people will just start to make something and just start laughing and laughing. And so I think it's something that can bring a lot of joy to people. Just it's because it's not such a frustrating craft, you know, with some things it's like, oh, my gosh, you have to learn all this. and It's hard to figure it out. But um, just to know that it's that's it can be instantly satisfying. So. But other than that, um, I just appreciate everybody out there that's that has supported, you know, Wool Pets over the year. And um, without everybody out there, I wouldn't be here. So I'm really grateful to everyone and um, really appreciate all the shop owners and, and um, just big thank you to everybody. Thank you, Lori, for sharing the story with us of how you built your business and just kind of giving us some inspiration to get out there and live our dreams too. So thank you once again and congratulations on your lovely book and and I wish you all the best for your continued success. Check out craftsanity.com this week for some information about a couple different giveaways that I have going on. I'm continuing to try to shift things around in my professional work life and just, you know, crazy life as a mother and a kind of a triathlete wannabe. <laughs> um and really want to continue to um, try to build Craft Sanity. So if you'd like to become part of this, whether you'd like to sponsor an episode or submit something to the show, um, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, for advertising, my husband Jeff handles that. Um, you can send an email to sponsors at craftsanity.com. There's a link on the website so you can find out more information about sponsorships there. And if you have any ideas for upcoming shows or things you think I should be covering on my blog, uh, feel free to contact me, Jennifer, at CraftSanity.com. I always love to hear from you. A special thanks to Verena Knitting for sponsoring this episode of Craft Sanity. The spring issue is on newsstands now, so if you'd like to get your hands on a copy, uh, a magazine packed with spring inspiration for knitting. 50 patterns in this magazine, so they're not joking around. They're giving you a lot of patterns. And there's also a digital version available at VerenaKnitting.com. There'll be links from CraftSanity.com, so you can find all the information you want there. So I'm going to be uh, heading out. i got to pack up my uh, travel craft projects, my portable craft projects, and I'm going to take a little vacation with my family. The first vacation in, first official vacation, I'd say, in like 10 years. Yeah, the Ackerman Haywoods don't know how to stop working. So <laughs> we're going to try to take a little break, but um, I still plan to do some blogging and crafting. So for me, that's kind of what I do on vacation. You know, I stay home and don't go anywhere. I uh 
I'm making projects. So it's going to be hard to step away because my studio is kind of like half organized and I'm pretty excited about how that's shaping up. And I just want to be able to finish cleaning it up and get to work in there. So that's going to have to wait though. So anyway, I'm going to go check out and see what, what fun stuff is going on in Orlando, Florida and uh, see what kind of art and craft I can find down there. If you're down in the Orlando area and have a crafty suggestion for me, place I need to check out, feel free to send me an email, jennifer at craftsanity.com, because I will not be without my iPhone on vacation. And I signed up for Twitter. I didn't really tell you guys about that, but um, I'm on Twitter under the name Craft Sanity is my little Twitter ID. I promise not to tell you every time I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because that would be quite a bit. But I mostly update my Twitter when, you know, it, it will let people know that I've updated my websites and occasionally when I come across something that is craft or art related that I want to share with people. I'm definitely not one of the people that is doing like daily commentary all day long. Um, I haven't gotten to that point. Although I do find that some of the people who do that are quite entertaining. So it is fun. I just have to be careful not to um, type out everything I think because some of the things would be just ridiculous. Oh, one other thing I want to mention. I'm still doing these weekly TV craft demonstrations uh, every Friday on the local morning show on TV. Yeah, they haven't told me not to come back yet. Um, <laughs> a lot of that might have to do with the fact that I don't get paid to do it. That could be um, my prices. Very affordable. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I have tried to work some of the local people. Like, I promote my local craft column every Friday. I'll tell people to check out the that you know, sun, the Sunday Grand Rapids Press to see who is featured in the local craft column. But I also, with these segments, I've tried to feature books and people like projects by people that are not from the area. So if you have something that you do, I'm um, looking for a lot of like summer craft ideas. And if you have a website and you have, or you have some product that you're selling that's craft related, feel free to, to contact me if you think it's something that would just have wide range appeal. Because one of the things I find is that I spend a great deal of time, you know, just like, cooking up projects every week. And one of the things I'm, I'm fairly good at is promoting other people. And their projects because, um, you know, I love to make things. I, I make things all the time. However, <laughs> you know, if you have something that you're doing that's really great and, you know, I can, uh, you know, t credit you and say, hey, this is where you can buy the supplies or this is where, you know, this idea came from and, and promote your website, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, I just think it's, uh, it's a great opportunity that I have to help spread the love of craft and bring other people along and just kind of say, hey, check this out or look at this website or look at this new product. So yeah, if you have ideas for me, by all means, send those along because I'm always looking to help shine the light on up and coming people who are doing their crafty thing. So keep crafting everybody and uh, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to finish packing for my trip and you know, see what kind of craft-related things I can sneak into my suitcase there and not get held up at security. Uh, I haven't traveled. I haven't flown since 1998, so <laughs> I'm a little behind the times and what is acceptable to be traveling with. So I'm going to go figure that out. And in the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sandy on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sandy store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSandy.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sandy. Craft Sandy.